We are proud members of the Spy Podcast Network. Find out more at www.spypodcasts.com. Welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we're here to continue our coverage of Casino Royale 1967. We are joined by Jacqueline Bissett, who of course stars in the film as part of Le Chiffre's Harem in the background, but later on in the film as Miss Goodthighs, a smirsh assassin out to take out James Bond 007. And, and I mean, it's a great interview and we are so happy that Jacqueline took time to speak, speak to us. Yeah, this was a huge honor. I mean, I'd watched her in so many movies over the years, movies like Airport, Bullet, and we do talk to her about those films as well. So this is just a really exciting um, interview for us. Yeah, um, I, I we love doing these Spymaster interviews to give you a little bit more perspective on the film apart from our opinions. So I think without further ado, holder of the French Legion of Honor, movie star extraordinaire Jacqueline Bisset, Cam, roll the interview. And joining us now on the show to talk about this week's film, Casino Royale, it is, of course, Jacqueline Bissett. Hello, Jacqueline. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. Um, we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Casino Royale, but uh, it's great to speak to someone who's been actually on worked on the film. So the first question we have for you is, how did you get involved with the project? Well, I, I have no idea. You never know how you get asked. But I was um, a young beginner sort of actress and I was, um, I think they, I can't remember if I auditioned for it. I think I probably did audition. Um, I was told I would be playing two parts. Um, one with Peter Sellers mm -hmm. and another one, I was going to be one of Orson Welles's henchwomen. So I actually, hard to spot me, but there was actually a different, two different characters and two different hairdos and uh, it was all rather vague. I was extremely happy to be working, me and about 10 other women, young women who were employed during a period of time, were all very happy to be on. We didn't, I, had a, I actually had a part, whereas most of, most of the girls didn't have a part. It just, we had to hang around, you know. Mm. It was all rather just, it was quite rather fun. I'm really curious, you know, the Bond movies are obviously a huge deal at this point in time. Um, was this project, Casino Royale, like viewed as kind of a hot project to be on? I have no idea. I didn't know much about anything in this at all. I was very green. And I, what had I done at this point? I, I'd, um, which was first, I'd, I'd been on the Polanski movie, uh, Sack, and I'd been on another... I was an extra in something. The Knack, I'd done The Knack, which was a, basically an, an extra part. And what else had I done? Two for the Road. I'm not sure if this was before or after. I think this was, I think this was before Two for the Road. Um, so I was just enjoying the game, you know, just happy to be on a set and see what was happening. And once the names of people like Watson Wells and Peter Sellers were illustrious, David Niven, and very illustrious names. When I had no idea how one was going to fit in. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned um, the two roles. It's one of the questions I had written down because it, some of the research I've done, and of course you were there, so you know, is that you did the role with Orson yes. as part of his uh, assassins in the background. And yes. then they asked you to do Miss Goodthighs after that. But you, it sounds like you did, they were sort of pitched the two at the start. Well, I can't remember if they were pitched two, but I was, I was definitely, I was aware that I was going to be in two different outfits kind of thing mm. I didn't really understand how they were going to do that but um you hardly see me as one of his henchmen but i did hench women not henchmen hench women and um just it was non-existent role it was visual just visual but it didn't i didn't have any words whereas i knew that when i first tested for 
Because I do remember now, I tested, yes, I did a test for Casino Royale and I had to do a, a sort of sexy scene with, a, with an actor, my first screen test. No, it wasn't. Oh, wow. Lansky one was the first screen test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you recall um, which section you shot first? Was it the Orson Welles material? I don't recall. We were, all, we were around the set for, for many weeks. It, we, it went on for a long time. It's a steady job, you know, turning up yeah. and getting ready and hanging about. I don't remember which was first. I think probably, probably the, probably the the scene with Peter Sellers probably was first. And did Joseph McGrath direct both of the sections you were working on? He no, he directed my 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 work with Peter Sellers. Yes, and the rest of the time it was a mystery who was directing it. <laughs> I mean, there were more directors on that film. I never met them. I just know there was Bob Parrish was on our set at some point. I don't remember. Who directed me? I I um I do remember the scene with Peter Sellers for sure because I had to say my lines to Joe McGrath and Peter Sellers took off for my love scene, sex scene. He left, so I was rather nonplussed by that and a bit angry that he didn't bother to stay. Yeah, and it was like my first. It was my first scene when I had to be a little bit, you know. And um, it would have been nice to have had someone off camera who wasn't just reading the lines. Like he was reading, you know, a laundry list. It's not the most encouraging of environments to create for like a young actor who's obviously no. working on a very big production. Yes, that was terrifying. Well, the the film Casino Royale has a, a bit of a history of being a, a nightmare behind the scenes. And we kind of alluded to that just before, but did you get a sense of that at the time that there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of stop and start? No, I really didn't because I didn't know how very normal films were and I mm. on the first film I done which was The Knack the first part was I was an extra really but I did have to do an audition for it I thought it was a madhouse I said this is to be the movie the worst movie in the world this is a C B D I don't know it was definitely not on my range I had no idea what we were doing we were all dressed the same the girls were dressed the same we were lined up it was freezing cold there was free food that was all I already cared about and I didn't know the actors and I thought this is absolute rubbish when I saw it, I was stunned. So I'd had that experience. Obviously, filmmaking is mad. I'd been up in the north of England shooting a film sack with Polanski. Once again, a very odd, surrealistic set, place, atmosphere. Um, there was nothing banal about these first experiences. And then, then I, I don't know if I'd done two for the road before or after, but then we were in the south of France, <laughs> you know, uh, living in a, a lovely time, having a lovely time there. It, the penny hadn't really fully mm-hmm. that I was this was a serious business and uh... well of course you get your triumphant reveal uh with your scene, your scene with Peter Sellers as Miss Goodthighs so I maybe mean, just tell us a little about working with with Peter Sellers um there's obviously stories about that behind the scenes as well but what was sort of your experience with Peter well my experience with Peter was not very good um prior to um me getting the part, I had joined, I had gone to Mr. Feldman. He was one of the producers, I remember his first name. Um, he was a big boss of that film, Feldman something, Charles Feldman. Mm-hmm. I had been asked to come and join Mr. Feldman and some people at his flat in London, central London. And I turned up uh, looking sort of, fairly pretty kind of thing. I had a sort of sexy dress on, a bit short, but anyway, I walked into the room and there was David Nevin and um, Peter Sellers and who else was there? Somebody else was there. Anyway, the sofa, which was in the middle of the room, was full, they were sitting. And I thought, well, where am I going to sit? So there was a little, what they call a poof, Mm -hmm. a round kind of thing you can sit on. So I sat down on it and the springs were definitely not holding me up. So I sat down on it and I fell backwards and I was mortified. So now I'm half on the floor and my legs are up by my knees. And here I'm wearing this dress, which was a a little bit sexy. And David Niven very sweetly put his arm outside the sofa and sort of tried to pull me up. From the from the poof, so I could try and get my balance in this awful little 
horrible little poof. And um, I had to continue sitting there and they had this, but there was a lot of talking going on about this. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, Peter Sellers was talking about accents. And he was talking about accents in different parts of England or the world, or, no, mainly England. And I made the mistake of saying to him, well, I, <laughs> I think I said to him, I'm sure that one, that one's quite right. It was an Oxfordshire accent. Mm-hmm. He looked at me a bit like, I beg your pardon, <laughs> you're a young, you whippersnapper. And um, anyway, I realized that I should be quiet, but I didn't agree with what he'd said. And I um, listened to keep quiet. Anyway, that, that meeting went away. And I always wondered if he kind of held it against me because he really wasn't very nice with me. And in fact, when I arrived, you've seen the film, right? I presume 10, 10 times to do in order to be able to do this interview. Um, when I walked in with my bottle of champagne, um, he was supposed to turn towards me. And I had to say, you know, Mr. Bond, whatever. And he fired the gun. And actually, it, was a, it wasn't a full load. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you call them? Um, a blank. A blank. Yes, it was a whatever it was, but it didn't. But it did produce little blood spots all over my face. And, of course, I dropped the champagne bottle. And um, hell of a fright. And this was early on in our meeting, so um, we hadn't done the, the part on the bed yet. And um, so we, you know, we did it again. And I saying, well, why did he do that? But, you know, anyway, I'd been told that he was recovering from it. He had been quite an ill man, and, and I certainly want to hold a grudge. So we'll do it again. Golly, what a, what a thing. How lucky I am not to have been blinded, you know, by that mm-hmm. silly accident. And we went on with the thing. And then we got eventually to the um, scene on the bed where I was supposed to put the pill in glass. And I had to say to him, I think, um, he said, oh, no, I can't remember what I had to say. He said, I like, if I'm not back in a minute, start without me. That was the line, if I remember. Yep. <laughs> and yes. So I had to do the scene with Joe McGraw. And he didn't come back. <laughs> oh, golly, this is not friendly, you know. Um, and I, of course, I learned my lesson there. I learned that you've got to be there for the actor. I, you know, no messing about, I'm there. They need, I need actors to be there. So I learned that. Mm-hmm. Definitely makes a difference in reading it with an assistant director or nothing against them, but just you don't read it the way I would. So that was my sort of little moment of uncomfortableness. I would love to know when this happens, like what's the reaction of you know the director and everyone around? In which bit of it? Which bit of it? With the gun incident, because that just sounds like something that would be very alarming. I don't know what their reaction was. I just knew my own reaction. And I just um, was a bit shaken by it. And, and um, I don't really know what to say because I'm sure they were like horrified. I guess, I mean, more so like, did they kind of like jump in to kind of like assist you? Like, was there- well, There was nothing to do. It was just, you know, look at my face. See, there were little, you know, all the little tiny blood spots and, you know, put the makeup on and try to try. And, and then we went on again. But, um, I'd, I'd say it's um, it's testament to you for for rolling with the punch so much and and getting on with the the scene because uh, if that was the first time you were actually sharing the camera with Peter, uh, that's it wasn't. Definitely... Yeah, well, you know, you have to roll. You've got to be a good sport and see mm-hmm. us I mean, generally. I mean, they've had various over the years. I've had various things that were a little bit dangerous, and um, you know, got through them. You just sort of well, you make sure that you obviously gradually when you see things happen, you try and check. That everything is that has been noted, and that you are in line with the what um, people and so on. Now, I'm I'm curious. There's a there's a bit of a glaring omission in the film. I actually watched it in the cinema, not just the other day here in London. So uh, I saw it on the big screen. And what jumped out to me is your character is killed by Ursula Andress, but you're never seen again. <laughs> Uh, well, what can I say? I have no idea. I never understood the film. I thought it was—I thought it was a very peculiar film. Few do, few do. You do no, and I'm amazed that people are talking about it still. I get quite a lot of people write to me about that role in in uh, well. It's, well, it's one of the most coherent parts of the film, so <laughs> it, that's that's appreciated. Um, but was there ever any plan to film a, a death scene or further footage with you, or was, yeah. as far as you're aware, that was it? 
oh, in, out, <laughs> I think. But I wasn't party to any discussions about script or anything. One isn't in the beginning. You don't get up. Mm. Nobody asks your opinion. I remember I remember my only participation was that I had, they loaded me up with makeup. The first part I remember, and I remember, oh, no way I'm going to go on screen with this makeup. I was not used to wearing a lot of makeup. I really didn't want to be tarted up completely. I went into the bathroom and sort of wiped a considerable amount of makeup off my face and then went back and I was lucky nobody said anything, but I was thought I was going to be scolded heavily. I'm really curious. There was so much issues in terms of, you know, rewrites on the set and multiple directors. When you're doing like your big scene there with Peter Sellers, was like all the dialogue locked down or was there like a lot of rewrites going on and handing you new pages? Or did no, you just, no, no, it was locked down. But I don't remember anything other than that doing it. Except I did expect him to be there. Well, you you mentioned just before, but are you surprised with the legacy of of this film? I mean, it's been remade since, I suppose, in a way, yes. by Daniel Craig. But as you say, you still get contact about it now, and we're talking about it right now about this film in twenty twenty two. So, does that surprise you at all? Um, no, not really. I mean, there's people who love the Bond films, and this was a spoof. So, uh, you know, different generations discover things. Things go on and on. You know, very. Mm -hmm. Things don't usually fade completely out of existence. I've noticed relative to the films I've done, somebody's seen something, wants to know something. I had just a question about the scenes you do where you appear in the Orson Welles section. If you had just any memories of Orson Welles during the shooting of that sequence. Oh, yes, I have a lot of memories of him. Mainly, um, we would all be gathered together in the early part of the day for makeup. You know, and Orson was always looking for a good breakfast. I remember him, because he left, we didn't travel. He was staying in central London and I was staying in central London. And he asked me, did I know a place for a good breakfast early in the morning, you know, and I really didn't remember that. I only knew a place called the Golden Egg, which was, a, and I remember telling him about the egg. And I don't know if he went there, but he, he was a very large man. And he liked to eat. So I thought it was important. And he seemed um, he seemed quite kind. I felt he was a sort of I felt he was lonely. I felt he was lonely and a bit um, not very happy. I didn't feel I mean he used to sit off on the set, the big when we were in the big room with all the um, action, with the gambling tables and all that sort of stuff. He would be in a corner. He would be working on his next project. It's always, you could tell that he was doing Casino Royale because he wanted to make money and he wanted to put his film together. Predominantly, that was why he was there. He, but when he had to get up and do his bit, he was, he was, he was very present. Um, interestingly, then, if you're looking at moving on from Casino Royale, uh, one question I actually got from one of our listeners on Twitter, and credit to at Kid Creole for the brilliant question. Post-Casino Royale, obviously the Bond films are still going now, but were you ever approached by E.ON to do another Bond film, perhaps an official one, in, in air quotes? No, not that I know of. Ah, is it, I could have seen you in many films. That would have been great. Well, I can't say that I was dying to be in one. Mm. After that first one, I thought, well, gosh, I don't know about this. I was very happy to watch other people in them. And um, no, it was not an aspiration. That's fair enough. Um, and the only other question I had was, and, and again, we kind of brushed on this one earlier. Is there a lesson you took away? Obviously, this was very early in your career and you've gone on to do great, great things. Is there a lesson you took from working on that set to films you worked on afterwards? Totally, yes. It's mainly is be there for the actor, the other actor. Don't be sent home early and then not be there for the actor. And that happens quite a lot because of reasons of schedule. They trump them, they, um, they're running a bit late, it's a bit... Everybody's pushed for time. The scene that you've been waiting to do all day long and you get to do it at the end of the day and the other actor's been sent home because they've got an early call in the morning. It's not very pleasant. Mm. That can happen. And I, in reverse, uh, sometimes I'd be told I can go. And I said, no, I'm not going. We haven't done the scene yet. I'm going to be there for the actor. You know, some actors like to work without a person, officer, but I don't. I, like, I need the other actor. It's just the performance. Mm -hmm. um, but um, depends on the style of acting. 
But I learned that. And in fact, on my first, um, when I was working on the cul-de-sac with Roman Polanski, I didn't know the terminology of things. You know, I was really green, really green. And I used to hear um, the first assistant director saying, um, now we're going to do lines off. I said, why is he talking Russian? Why does he keep saying that? And I would stand there and, and I had no idea what to do. And I didn't dare say that I didn't know what Lineself was. And it took a long time. Come on, Jackie, get moving. Say your lines off. And I went, oh, lines off. I really, I really, um, Silly mistake, but it embarrassed me terribly. And there were other things like that. Because nobody says, they call it, um, I don't know, I don't know what other people call it, but it's got different names. So if you don't know. Like the language of films. Yes, the language of films. Yeah. Well, we are a spy movie podcast, and we often talk about James Bond stuff on the show. And I would just love to know, Murder on the Orient Express, if you had any memories of working with Sean Connery. Yes, I do. I do remember him, of course. Um, yes, he was extremely, uh, he was very charming. He looked wonderful in his outfit, in his period outfit. He didn't dress well, I would say, himself. And he really didn't care about it, I think. You know, but I remember he had different socks on once and I saw him in some social event. I remember finding, thinking it was rather funny. But when he was dressed in his outfit, very sexy, very handsome. It's, it's nice to know I have something in common with Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, I was going to ask about Airport, a film you did a few years later after Casino Royale. But, uh, Cam, did you want to talk about Bullet? Well, I actually was watching Bullet last night or rewatching really? Bullet. Yeah. And one of the things I find so interesting about that movie is how much of it is just told through behavior versus dialogue. And I would just love to know about, you know, finding a character often without any dialogue in a scene. And it all really does hold together. You know, all the actors, that's kind of the approach. But yeah, I'd love to know about that. Well, I don't know what to add to that. I, if, you, if you got that, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, obviously, words are just part of filming. Mm -hmm. In the moment is really what's essential because it's... Um, and then they pick up stuff that's got some subtext to it visually. Uh, that's very important. It's not really about the lines, is it? Mm -hmm. Well, you could you could liken that back to Casino Royale. Your entrance barely has any words, but the the presence on screen that's one of the standing visuals that you still keep in your mind is is you appearing with the the, the bottle of champagne. Yeah, right. yeah. So I, I I don't really know how to answer your question. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a very like just unbelievably well-made movie. Technically, what was Peter Yates's you know process of putting together a scene and directing you through it? He was lovely. He was a um, very nice man. He was a, a man of distinction. He had class. He was civilized. He treated me very politely and very nicely, as did Steve. Actually, Steve Queen was very nice too. Um, I had to hang around for weeks because they were shooting in San Francisco and I was in Los Angeles. And I kept thinking, well, they can let me come up soon and I'll be doing something week after week. And I said, this is awful. I was just awful waiting. And at least I was at home. And, event, and then he said, I want you, Peter Yates said, come on, I want you to come up to San Francisco and I want you to, to pretend, you know, learn to live in San Francisco. Mean. So they had a flat for me to come up to there not enough flat and I stayed there going from one foot to the other and back and occasionally going on set just to say hello and everything and I had no idea how to do what he meant I didn't know about you know being a person who lives in San Francisco in terms of that as the actor I mean who knows how to incorporate all those things and make it seem authentic so I did a few up and downs and still I wasn't shooting. <laughs> I thought I can cut out of this. But he was always very nice. Very nice. And we used to go, I would join them. I would go with he and Bob Royer, who was the co-producer with Steve McQueen. 
and we would all go and eat in different restaurants and we'd have another nice meal and Steve would um, always want to not be seen. He was always very uh, furtive and trying to escape anybody. He was an enormous star at the time and he didn't really want to be bothered. I think he was always turning his back or never want to show off at all. Get on, he'd come on his bike, leave on his bike, and um, boom, he was out, he was gone. Uh, and Peter was just very wonderful, as he was on a film. I did another film with him called The Deep. Yeah. He was, had a bright yellow canary suit, bodysuit on, and he was incredibly lovely on underwater, even sitting on a rock, you know, directing. <laughs> Oh, The Deep was a big deal for me because I'd read the novel and then saw the film. And so I had a fair amount of experience with The Deep. And um, it's a movie that I very much appreciated. Um, and I, I would just love to know, kind of can, as we jumped over there, just any memories you had of working with Robert Shaw, oh, yes. um, another actor we've talked a lot about. And we, I think we're both huge admirers of. You both are? Or um, you and I, you mean? Uh, I, all all three of us, maybe. Yeah. All three of us, maybe. Oh, I adored Robert Shaw. He made me laugh. He was so funny and so childish, childlike. Um, I met him on a film which I did with um, John Voight. What was it called? It was in Switzerland. Anyway, I met him on that. And uh, Robert liked to tipple a little bit, you know, definitely liked his own thing. And he asked me if I'd come and drink with him. And I thought, well, think so but you know, I'll go with him because I liked him and he made me laugh he would tell these silly sort of fart jokes and stuff like that which totally cracked me up absolutely I have a very low sense of humor very easy sense of humor and it, we, we just would giggle you know just stupid stuff and um then when I did the 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 deep well he and Nick became fast friends and I was like the um I was the person who you could tease. They would gang up on me. They would gang up on me a lot, and, and underwater particularly. They would do pranks and stuff, so I had to survive. I had to be... And then at one point, Robert started, he was, didn't drink, and he was just perfect. And at some point, he went off, and it got very difficult. He was very, very, it was dangerous for him, but he had to be followed under water because he was just really silly things. And uh, um, what was protective of him loved him dearly. You know, he, he and Nick were tough, um, but I, once again, got to go with the flow, you know, be the good sport. As long as I didn't drown, I was okay. I was going to ask you, there's so much underwater stuff. Was that you know, concern for you signing on? Was it challenging to shoot? Totally concerning. I was a very average swimmer. I had a big fear of water. And um, well, they when they taught me into doing the film, um, they said, well, you won't have to do much. You know, we'll have little, you won't have to do, you know, the old close-up and stuff. Well, I wasn't convinced, but Peter Goober convinced me to do the film. And I, he said, this man called Al Giddings, We'll teach you how to swim, how to dive, and you'll be always surrounded and everything. And people will be around and everything. And Al Giddings came to my house and I have a swimming pool. And he said, we'll start in the swimming pool. And um, he said, I just want you to know that you can drown in three feet of water. Be very aware that things can go wrong very quickly. But with Al Giddings there, um, then we went into the ocean and I, I went into like, 90 feet, you know, it was, a big, it was a big deal. And they then I started, the person who they had double me, they didn't look full alike. And um, so I started to have to do a great deal of it. And, um, and that was it. And, you know, once you're in, you don't, you don't want to be a bad sport, you want to be game, you want to be well-liked, and you don't want to cause a harumph all the time. So you just do a bit more than you probably should do. Accidents happen. Uh, you don't want to rock the boat. No, you don't want to. And I think, you know, generally that's been my attitude in my career. It's just, just don't make, I don't want to hear my voice whining, you know. And uh, I think you have to discuss a lot of stuff when you do a project. 
hopefully you can get your fears out of the way with the director so that you talk about it and you don't have to keep whining because directors don't have time to think about all the little mm -hmm. details. They've got enough to deal with. Massive job. Massive job being the director. They really cover everything. And um, so I'm a bit that way in my life. I, I try and take care of things myself. I don't, I don't like call my agent unless I'm really desperate. And that's only happened a couple of times. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Agents, we have some breaking intel. That's right. Independent podcasting is not cheap. Equipment, hosting, research, these all add up. And we don't have Vesper Lind to bail us out. And also, we don't want to run ads on the show. Leave the shopping to Harry Palmer, we say. And this is a big reason we created the Spy Hearts Patreon. So we're here to ask for your help. Please consider joining the Patreon. You'll not only be gaining access to our exclusive lineup of reviews and film commentaries, but also helping support the show. We're currently saving to upgrade our sound equipment to meet IMF standards and give you an even better listening experience. With a wide range of flexible options and an ever-growing catalogue to dive into, become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards or you can find a link in the show notes below. Now Cam, resume the spy jinx. Now, when I was preparing for this uh, chat with yourself, I, obviously I watched Casino Royale, but I chose another film out of your filmography I hadn't seen, which was Airport. And um, one of the reasons I chose it, I wrote, I read that it was a very good performance from you, and I, I completely agree. There's some very sensitive stuff you talk about there. Uh, you know, when your character becomes pregnant and you choose to keep the baby, and it's you know, the Dean Martin's character is married, and there's a whole thing there. But firstly, my question to you: I was blown away by the film, but what was it like working with Dean Martin? Because he's a, a previous spy. That was so much fun. <laughs> So much fun. He loved to make people laugh. He loved to entertain. He would bend over backwards to make people laugh. You know, his number was very, you know, it was very, <laughs> he liked being drunk. He liked singing. He was just very, very fun. And there was a completely different set when he was on the set, when Burt Lancaster was on the set. When Dean was there, everyone was happy, everyone was joking. He Golf club, swinging his golf club, you know, glass of apple juice, you know, everyone loved. With Bert, it was very serious, film. And when you took on the role in Airport, now there is, as I say, there's quite sensitive material in the sense of you, you speak of perhaps an abortion at one point. There's quite tough topics to tackle. And this is only three years after doing Casino Royale. You've been acting for about five years at that point. So I would imagine quite the challenge. Um, how did you tackle that head on? No, it was no, the challenge is usually the same. It's just you know you get over your fear and you can do it. The challenge was getting the costume right. Oh, it was a, it was um, incredibly uh, long process of finding uh, the getting the uniform so that the direct the producer Russ um, what was his name Russ gosh I've forgotten. He was very finickety about the costume. Hmm. I mean, he said, no, it wasn't bright, it wasn't tight enough, it wasn't loose enough, it wasn't sexy enough, it wasn't this, it wasn't. And I think I had about 11 fittings. So that's where I met the famous Edith Head, who was the style oriented to um, Madame. And um, we finally got the, the costume either way. I can't believe I've forgotten the name of the producer. So it was very nice, but. Uh, Anyway, well, no, well, that's there's one scene in particular that jumped out to me where you and um, D. Martin are sitting in the plane before takeoff, and you're discussing. You, you told him that you're pregnant in that scene, and what I, I thought going into airport that it would just be a disaster flick, and there'd be explosions, and and I I did get an explosion, but I was not prepared for those personal scenes, and I think that's what really holds up the film. So, what was just that really? scene like? I've seen it, so I have no idea. I can't remember. Mm. I can't remember. My goodness. I know that my first scene with Dean, it was in the mid-afternoon, it was mid-morning and I had to arrive. And they're shooting. And I think somebody was packing a suitcase. I guess I was packing a suitcase. Yes, you were in your house. Yes. I was in, was it in my house? Mm. 
And the director said, okay, now we want Jacqueline, come and kiss Dean. Um, and then you pull away. I mean, I had hardly met him. And now I'm in a, I'm, I'm about to kiss him. And, and it's like a first shot. Then I Dean Martin, and it's something about to kiss him. I was really know quite how to take it. And when I pulled away, because that was what I had to do, I had to sort of push him off. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying whatever his, what was his character's name? I can't remember. Whatever it was, I didn't say it. And I said, oh, Dean. Like it was like like it was him, rather not the character, right? And I went bright red, and all the crew were laughing, and everybody was joking with me. And I I'm embarrassed to have used his name rather than the character's name. And um, that was it. But I mean, um, when you're rather inexperienced, these things can be a bit awkward. Couldn't have been nice. Couldn't be nicer. I mean, really nice. The only other question that jumped out to me with the airport is I was genuinely surprised where the chap actually blows up the suitcase and, and the the plane explodes. And there's your character is caught in the explosion. Now you then are then being treated by a doctor for the rest of the film. But were you part of the stunt of them you know exploding the, the compartment, or was it a stunt double the whole time, or did you get involved with that? Well, I was well, I don't know the I was on the floor, if I remember right, and um, mm-hmm. when the, I hate telling how movies are, t- are done, because it just breaks the all magic, you know. Um, um, I was involved in it because I had to be seen, but mm-hmm. I wasn't actually in the explosion that I, you know, as it's put together, I'm there. Someone pulling them, I was sort of lying on the floor, and then somebody's pulling my legs, actually to create the thing of the suction of the air going out of the plane, you know, dropping in, in um, <laughs> dropping in, what do you call it? Uh, losing pressure. Right, yeah, in altitude, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just, yeah, I remember thinking how hilarious it was. I couldn't imagine how they were going to do this, but when they did it, when they had all the, all the things lift and, you know, swoosh through the, through the plane, that was pretty amazing. And of course, now they'd probably have to do it. It would be done better. Special effects would be done different now. But what it did do is I was extremely nervous on my next flight, knowing that this could happen as an air stewardess. Is beset. Oh, it's beset. We saw an airport. Oh, my God. Well, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone walking into a toilet cubicle you get worried about? What? Anyone walking into one of the toilets in the plane, you start to get a bit uh, a bit sweaty just in case something happens. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 we don't go there. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I, I think before we let you go uh, and, and bid our farewells, we have one question we tend to ask all of our guests. Um, what is your favourite spy film, personally? I'm not aware particularly of... I, I remember the, the one that I... The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, there, there was a movie when I was young that I saw, which, which was took place in a kind of Moroccan atmosphere, souks and stuff like that, if I remember right. Was it, who was in it? Um, I don't think it was Jimmy, I think it might have been Doris Day in it. Could it have been Doris Day in a, in a spy film? There is The Man Who Knew Too Much. Which the Man Who Knew Too Much, I always, it was a good looking man in it. Um, because the Doris Day one is paired with Jimmy Stewart, the Hitchcock movie. That's what at least no, I, I didn't. That's not that. No, no, that is no? this one was more. Um, a spy. I like spy movies actually. I do like them a lot. I can't remember the names of them. I've got a terrible memory for, for things I see and um, and for books too. I read a lot of books and then I didn't know what I'd read, but just kept reading. I just and then when I became an actor, I was like. Well, have you anything you'd roles you'd like to play? And I said, Well, they, they surely are, but I don't know the names of the books that I paid attention to. So, um, can't give you an answer. I think The Man Who Knew Too Much was one of an early one. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, tell me some other names of maybe I can you can jog my memory. Well, if we're looking at Hitchcock, we've got all the way back to things like Notorious, North by Northwest, um, 39 Steps, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I saw some of those. 
but I don't, I didn't fixate on one particular one. It's a good era to be fair for spy films. Hitchcock was, yeah, was, was, uh, I don't know, not really spy films, are they? They're sort of. We count them as spy films. It was spy films. Um, so I can't really give you an answer, a proper, proper answer. That's okay. That's okay. My mind is just blank. No, that's fine. Well, I, I will try and change the angle of the question. Is there a favourite Bond film then? Is there one that you've caught since, perhaps not Casino Royale, but another one you've uh, caught over the years you enjoyed? Uh, well, the one one I like, the one, this last one I wasn't particularly keen on. There was one, I think it's the one before this last one, I think it is. Judy, Judy Dench was in it. Skyfall. I think I like Skyfall particularly. Terrific film. Very good choice. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't know what else to say, Jacqueline. You've been absolutely a star. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about Casino Royale. Um, is there anything you're working on at the moment you'd like to, to mention? I'm promoting something. I did a, sure. most, a wonderful um, role in a film called Lauren and Rose, which is kind of like a two-parter. Mm-hmm. There are other people in it, but it's basically, it's basically a conversation between an actress who's had a very peculiar life, good life and a bad life, She's been an unreliable person, personage, and a young film director who she wants to work with. And they meet in a restaurant and talk. And it's it leads it to a very, very long and very deep conversation and friendship. And um, it was a wonderful experience, absolutely wonderful. I just took it to the Santa Barbara Film Festival, and now I'm going to go to the Sonora Film Festival with it. And then we're going to go to... Um, um, Saratoga, Sausalito. No, what's it called? There's a further film festival there. Anyway, so that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing at the moment. And one of the best roles of my life. I made the most incredible script. Fantastic. Has that got distribution? Will it be coming out in the cinemas? No, we haven't got distribution yet. We've, we've just come out of COVID a bit, you know. So now we're sure. actually going to this film festival. It's not, not on Zoom. We're actually going there, be there. But this is a whole... Two years have been lost in film for this film. It was just um, a, a, very sad not to have it out. But anyway, now it's getting good reaction. Good. Well, uh, all I can say is then thank you, Jackie, for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well. There you have it. Miss Goodthighs herself has graced the podcast. I think it's another Bond girl we've added to our collection of interviews and... Um, I mean, we learned a lot about Casino Royale. Yeah, and this was really just fascinating to get that sort of insight into a movie that there's not a lot of opportunities for us to talk to the major players with this movie anymore. And in particular, this movie is fascinating to hear about given just the production was such a disaster across the board where you had multiple directors and writers and all that sort of thing. And so to have someone give their first-hand account about a very, very memorable sequence in the film was a real, like, just absolute pleasure. Yeah, Jacqueline was very gracious with her time. Um, And, you know, as we said in the review earlier in the week, there's not many films we're going to tackle on this show that had basically six directors and numerous writers, producers, and, you know, I mean, this film has five or six James Bonds, eight or so if you count the animals. So just to have a little perspective of onset, I think is absolutely priceless. And, you know, we learned things like some may know some of the stories, of course, but you know, the, the, the accident on set where Peter Sellers shot the gun and the blank fired at Jacqueline. She got hit in the face by the blank. And, you know, you know given current events happened you know, recently in Hollywood, and it's a very dangerous thing to do and, and, and could have fatal results as we've recently learnt and luckily that wasn't the case on Casino Royale but and you know we know Peter Sellers had some demons that he was dealing with at the time and um, but just to hear her attitude towards it and, and the way she dealt with it very professionally on set is quite the marvel yeah I mean you're right like I just kept thinking of those recent events that were swirling around you know the Alec Baldwin incident on that film Rust and I'm like you know, this was a 2021 production that happens on, which I would imagine probably has a little stricter safety protocols than a film in the 60s. And just given how like scary an incident this was, it just definitely kind of gives you those sort of kind of those shivers of thinking about the modern day, as you said. But 
just the professionalism I thought was just unbelievable. And to hear her talk about working her way through a scene that I think would be quite difficult when you get off really on a terrible foot with an actor, you know, with Peter Sellers behaving the way he did. You have to be playful. This is a comedy. It has to have a lightness of tone. There's, you know, like a romance scene. To be able to pull all that off, um, given those circumstances, just a real credit to her professionalism. Yeah, there's supposed to be a rapport between her and uh, James Bond in that scene. And it turns out that most of that scene, she's shot by herself talking to the, one of the ADs. And, that, and, and this is, as we said, her third or fourth credit on IMDb. She's a burgeoning actor at this point and doesn't have the reps to necessarily deal with it. But you can't see that on the screen. No, like the scene is actually one of the more memorable scenes for me in the film. Like I always remember that character and it's because of just, you know what, that's like two minutes, three minutes of screen time, but it really does pop on screen. Are you telling me the uh, the flying roulette wheels don't stick in your head? Well, of course. I mean, only when I sleep though. That's what I think of as I'm, you know, nodding off. I, I often go to uh, Piccadilly Circus and hope that the uh, alien spaceship will land and abduct everyone um, that's and that's a james bond film folks but you know also to learn about you know a lot of people forget that she was also in the scenes with orson wells earlier on in the film part of the sort of harem of assassins and you know just talking about working with orson wells and how warm he was these are the stories that i like to to get on the show because orson wells isn't with us anymore and most of the people that have worked with Orson Welles also aren't with us anymore. So just to have the opportunity to speak to her about that and just briefly hear that she had a nice time working with him is, is really lovely to hear. And he was such a driven artist where she's talking about how he was always kind of working on his next projects and probably took this one to fund that. But nonetheless, even if he was just taking, you know, basically a paycheck on this movie to fund something that's more of a passion project... He is incredibly memorable in this movie as well, like with his whole magic act at the, uh, you know, casino table. So it was just a real joy to hear her talk about more of the the individual that she was working with in those scenes. Just to sort of wrap up our thoughts on, on the Casino Royale of it all, I it's a daunting task to be called in to do a Bond film. Yeah, we spoke with Rachel Grant last year about uh, her appearance in, in Dine of the Day. But she said there was nothing but professional. She was taken care of the entire time. You know, very quick turnaround, but you know, she was always taken care of. And, and this seems like it was a, a different atmosphere, a different environment for any actor that Jacqueline obviously dealt with with grace. And um, you can't see any of those struggles on the screen. I mean, you can see the plot struggling on the screen, but that's not her fault. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. Casino Royale, say what you will about it um, in terms of plot um, but and story, but in terms of individual performances, it's a lot of like little kind of moments of inspiration going on throughout, and she's a you know, pretty good example of that. I always say David Niven's acting of picking up cannonballs is perhaps the height of, uh, of acting. They should be showing that in all acting schools. <laughs> the only other thing I had as a note I wanted to bring up about the interview is it was nice to know I have a connection with Sean Connery because when he's not playing James Bond, and this is what we're talking about, Murder on the Orient Express, that she starred in with Sean Connery, um, when he's not wearing his tuxedos and drinking his martinis, he's probably uh, was walking around in jogging bottoms. And so it's nice to know that, uh, that, that Sir Sean and I had something in common. Yes, I mean, I was really excited to hear her talk about some of these icons that we discuss on the show, whether it was Connery or also Robert Shaw, who obviously in the deep, obviously in From Russia with Love, but Jaws is a huge deal for me. So any sort of stories I can get just in terms of people who've worked with Robert Shaw talking about experiences they had with him is just so fascinating for me. And I I loved hearing her um, accounts on that. Absolutely. And of course, um, we briefly spoke about Airport as well from 1970. And she starred uh, opposite Dean Martin, who was, of course, the head of the Matt Helm films from the 60s. So he was also a, a notable spy that we haven't got to on the show yet, but I'm looking forward to tackling Matt Helm down the road. Cam, before we wrap it up and say goodbye, is there any sort of final notes you have on the interview you wanted to bring up? Yeah, just really exciting to hear about Bullet, a movie that I think is very cool. And 
has kind of been brought up again in the public consciousness because of the Batman, which borrows some elements from Bullet. And it is just the epitome of like the cool 60s film and just technically unbelievable. Um, the direction by Peter Yates is fantastic. So that's one worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Um, and I will be very interested to see how Spielberg updates that material with the upcoming Bullet film he's working on. Absolutely. And yeah, we briefly spoke about the film that she's currently touring around at uh, film festivals, Lauren and Rose, directed by Russell Brown. And hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing that in theaters in, in the coming years. She was very passionate about it, very excited. So it should be a, a hell of a time. Yeah. And best of luck to her that it get, picks up distribution and gets some attention because, um, you know, nowadays there's so many outlets with all of the streaming services as well as theaters. So hopefully it is something that we are able to see and can pass on to our listeners when it's available. Absolutely. So, uh, Cam, that concludes our chat about uh, Casino Royale 67. I think we've used all of our LSD by this point to, uh, to get through it. I'm still coming down from that high. Don't ever come down from that Casino Royale high, Scott. I, I, I'm up in that spaceship, man. Don't you worry <laughs> about it. I, I, and also, I, I've got a 007 dog with me. Oh, perfect, perfect. But um, why don't we let the guys know what we're doing next week? Yes, we are tackling 2009's Burn After Reading. This is another star-studded film, much like in some ways Casino Royale. But uh, this is a Coen Brothers film. And um, I'm really interested to dive back into this one. This was their follow-up to... Um, no Country for Old Men. So that's very notable as well. Yeah, I actually watched this one a few months ago, funnily enough, before uh, before we decided to do it for the show. And I think that's when I decided it was quite spy adjacent and that I wanted to talk about it. Um, so it's actually interesting that I'm bringing a prestige film to the, uh, to the list for once. That's right. It had to happen eventually. I'm growing, Cam. Look at me grow. <laughs> Wait, no, that's just the LSD in my hands getting bigger. <laughs> you can find the next Condor Man or trench coat a little bit further down the road. <laughs> I don't want to find another trench coat. <laughs> I gave it in at goodwill. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, there you go, folks. Thank you for checking out our coverage for Casino Royale 67. And uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Burn after reading and join us next week. Do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, excuse me. Are you Richard Burton? No, I'm Peter O'Toole. Barbican Station explores the spy world of Slough House and the Slow Horses created by author Mick Heron. Find it online at slough.house or in your favorite podcast app under Barbican Station.